and welcome to Quality of Life Radio, hosted by Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazines.com. Hey, everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio's Quality of Life show. You know, we've had psychologist and author Jody Eckleberry Hunt on the show twice, maybe even three times, but she was on uh, with her first two books. The first one, Move On, Mother You Know Whater. <laughs> That's not how it's uh, spelled, though. And Getting to Good Riddance, a no bullshit breakup survival guide. And today she is back. So exciting. Her third book, you know what they say, you know, when you start doing things in threes, all kinds of good stuff happens. Uh, this is called Badass Stories, Grit, Growth, Hope and Healing in the Shit Show. We all know about shit shows, right? And we're allowed to say these kind of words because she's a psychologist and she says it's okay to get those kind of things out. So her book is out on February 14th, 2023 through Turner Publishing, awesome publisher. And I encourage you to go to her website, jodyeckleberryhunt.com. And that's Jody, J-O-D-I-E, echoberryhunt.com. And make sure you pre-order this book and get it. Uh, her writing is awesome. And she gets you to really think about your life and how to move forward through all kinds of exercises. And in this book, she really shares some stories, uh, real stories like that we can all identify. Um, a real people story going through shit, quite frankly. So welcome back, Jody. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm good. The sun is almost out in Michigan. So that gives hope. That is hope. But you guys don't have warm sun at this time of year. I'm sorry. You know, I think the first time we interviewed you, we were going through that Wisconsin winter and we, we didn't understand until like we were there what that meant. And um, yeah, and when that winter comes, you get good books and it's a good time to actually reflect. I think winter going into spring is a good season to kind of take stock of your life. That's a great point because, I mean, if you're like me, you don't like to be out in the cold and there's, you know, not a lot of other things to do, <laughs> be inside and you can only, you can only do so much with your time. Yeah. So take stock. And then when spring comes, you're ready to roll. But this, I, number one, badass, I probably say that term on the show more than any other term. Badass, I, I can't help it because it's like people have badass stories. And I think that's really great about your book, that you're shining stories of everyday people going through stuff, things that, you know, I think we always like, a you know, we want to vote for the underdog. You know what I mean? You know, it's like in sports or even in politics, right? We want the underdog to win. We want people like us and uh, to to make it. We want to root for those people. And we are those people, aren't we? Yeah, I think you're hitting at really my core point that I try to make is that <clears throat> everyday life is badass. Life is hard. Life is challenging. Uh, life is full of shit. And showing up over and over and not giving up is badass. And when oftentimes when folks are telling me their stories in my office, I find myself thinking, wow, you've actually done a lot. You've been through a lot. And when I feed that back to them, they look at me like, are you crazy? Like, what? why are you saying that? But that's the thing is we don't see the badass in our own stories because we have these distorted lenses and filters. And so, but it, I often say, if I were to take somebody's story and assign it to another person with a different name and feed it back, people would be like, oh my, that's awesome that they did that. That's really great. And I say, that's you. Mm. Uh, people are like, wow, I, I yeah. didn't see it that way. I think that's, you know, when we also tend to, I think for women too, we pile things on and just kind of keep a closed eye while we keep swallowing shit. I, I get to say shit on the show since you're here. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's true. We do keep swallowing it. And then and then eventually um, you really can't just keep doing that. You know, it's like eating way too much cake, but it's not nice cake. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. To get it out and go through something. And and what about fear? 
I think that's something, you know, is going through your book is there's fear. People do things out of fear. People don't do things out of fear. And at the end of the day, no matter what it is we're going through, isn't it badass comes from facing fear. And, you know, I love the word grit too. Grit. I always look for that in music. You've got to have that grit. If it's over polished, yeah, it sucks to me. But mm. grit has that traction. Like when you're driving, you need that little bit of dirt on the road, especially you need that salt on the road during that snowstorm. Um, you need grit for traction to make things actually roll forward. If it's all polished and squeaky clean, it's boring. Yeah, I think that there's this idea if uh, we hadn't had certain experiences, maybe our lives would be great. And that's judgmental, first of all. But I think those experiences, they can beat us down, but then they could also create that grit, that stick-to-itiveness. And fear gets us stuck. People either uh, being afraid to address something or telling themselves the worst possible scenario or in, in learning to avoid or just getting paralyzed by their fear. So I actually think I do call it badass. Look fear in the eye. And it, it doesn't mean that you're done. It just means that you're willing to sit with it and figure out what is it that I need to do next in terms of uh, the direction or the path that I want to be on. Hmm. What's interesting with you in this book is, you know, you were writing that you actually wanted to write this book a long time ago. So was this in your head before the other two books? Yes, this was, this was, and that that's an important point. Uh, This was supposed to be my first book in terms of when I had daydreams, but I was too afraid to write it. And the reason why I was too afraid to write it is it's real. It's, there's a lot of personal stuff, Mm -hmm. but I think that the stories are difficult. And I had a fear of being judged and I, I'm going to be judged. Right. So I, 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 it's not that I somehow think I'm not going to be judged now. It's just saying the fear of being judged is not a good enough reason to not write the book. And isn't that hard also as a psychologist, because don't people look at you must be 100% perfect, nothing goes wrong in a psychologist's life. You're like, you know what I mean? They think you sit on the couch with yourself, right? Um, but that's not really what life is, because none of us, you make a good point in this in your book is we're all human. And that means we are 100% imperfect. And so we're human, we're going to make mistakes, we all go through something also because we're dealing with other humans relationships are not just one-sided and if it is you should get out but there's um or work on it i should say but you know what i mean it's um there's no way perfection is part of it and i think fear and perfection kind of hang on to a very they have that's a weird relationship but real yeah yeah fear of in facing imperfections somehow uh, maybe a fear that you'll drown in it or, but you, you hit also hit, made a very good point. People are sometimes surprised when they find out that I have, that I'm human. And I'm like, I'm in the shit show with you. And folks say to me that that's actually comforting. Uh, It's comforting to know that I'm no different than anybody else. And my, some of my favorite stories are about my parenting fails and I, I think, again, that gets to a, a, a very important message, in my opinion, in the book, which is the feeling of being alone, the feeling mm-hmm. of being isolated or too different or unacceptable keeps people in this shame and this isolated state that actually gets in the way of growth. So I guess hearing that I'm no different and I'm being willing to share my that my failings helps people feel less alone and less different. Mm. I think that it's it makes you more connectable to me. You know, it's like you can identify and, and relate. And you talk about that, like you know, people getting around the kitchen table. And as women, I mean, it's like when we lived in England and South Africa, it was the pot of tea comes out at everything. 
you know, um, later ice cream or wine, but the pot of tea was like always, okay, what's, is this a tea moment? And everybody gathers around, but it's some real stuff. And when you're with close friends that you trust and rely upon, you, you can be, you can really communicate about that of, of what's going on. And, you know, I, I recently, um, connected with my best friend that I haven't seen for years. I mean, 30 years when we grew up in South Africa together. And um, we actually reunited in Michigan, believe it or not. And it was really interesting to have this connection with her and go back through her life. When we had to leave South Africa, everybody kind of bailed at certain times for certain reasons. And um, hear her stories of what she went through as as a woman and uh, professionally with family, with kids, divorce, same thing. We, we all have these stories and it's like, I'm looking at this girl going, we graduated high school together and I knew you were a badass, but like, you're my hero, man. I'm so glad you're my friend. I'm like, I'm the luckiest girl on the planet when you hear those stories. And, it, and you have this, I think when people share these stories, there's a camaraderie and, and it makes you want to be the best that you can be for yourself and for your loved ones. Cause if you're feeling better, those around you are feeling better, right? Yes. And getting, tying back to your point earlier about perfectionism, sometimes I think that the pursuit of perfectionism is somehow trying to prove to yourself or others that there's nothing that anybody can have or use to get to you. And it's a false, it's a, what do I, it's a mistaken quest, I guess. And really, the connection is allowing yourself to be vulnerable, as you just described, and knowing that the people around you are going to feel even closer to you because of that, that the pursuit of perfectionism, nobody wants to be around somebody like that. So it's self-defeating in so many mm-hmm. ways. Do you, are you going to do like a badass girls club? Yeah. Like a- I never so I was just thinking about that. about that when you're, you know, it's so funny because I was just thinking like these stories are empowering and make you realize that you can keep going and you can find a way. There's always a way and to face fear. But if you had a, like a bad girls, like a badass, not bad girls, badass girls club, <laughs> be kind of cool. Like just kind of like, you know, like superheroes, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> superheroes for ourselves. And then that means we can be imperfect, too. You know, um, so I, I hadn't thought about that, but as you, I'm smiling really big thinking that's a really cool idea that that would be something beautiful, in my opinion, to come from this getting conversation started. Yeah, because that's the thing is women, I, I know I keep going to women, but men go through things too. Um, and so we shouldn't leave men out, but I kind of like that kind of concept because the stories are, that's what I think is so beautiful about this book. There's women going through so many and people going through so many different things, um, different stories, uh, you know, childhood issues, uh, parents, abuse, there's trauma, there's a little bit of everything that someone knows someone or has gone through it themselves. And so even if it's not something that you can identify with personally, you're going to know someone that you could share that story with. So it kind of goes beyond a book club for me with this. Well, and and again, those badass stories are the everyday. It's not the stuff we tend to look at, uh, which is, okay, so somebody uh, got caught uh, falling in a crack on a mountain and they had to gnaw their arm off to get out. (laughs) Yeah. Or eat your friend when you your plane crashes in the snow, right? Yes, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, those are great stories, but not something that the average person is typically going to overcome or uh, sort of encounter in their life. But what I'm talking about is truly badass is some of the, it's overcoming abuse or leaving abusive relationships or, um, setting a goal and not giving up in spite of things that get in your way. And these days, uh, I I am a a big fan of saying parents of teenagers are badass. (laughs) And I only because I'm in that. (laughs) I think Nancy agrees with you. (laughs) She's overhearing this and she's giving you thumbs up on that. Uh, You know, I think anybody having to do, you know, it's we're, we're juggling 
so much. And I think people getting through the pandemic are badass, you know, because you think about what it's done to the world. Um, and there's a lot of positive stories and um, badass stories that have come out of the pandemic too. This could be like a whole TV series. Like seriously, what you've done with this is, I just think it's huge, uh, you know, cause it's inspiring. It's empowering. It's true. You identify with it. Um, but yeah, I think the, the family thing with parents, you, you, that's one of the first stories in the book. It's like, oh my gosh, so one girl having to deal with her mom and I look at Nancy and I, and we have a relationship. I mean, that's close at the same time. We have to tell each other off. We do. And then we have wine and get on with it. Cause we, I think you, we've kind of put it like, we're not allowed to go that far. Like we're just not, we have, we have a bigger purpose together in what we do. I don't know how to explain that, but it's, we, we, you know, I don't know. We're very dedicated to what we do. And if you let stupid shit get in the way, you're not going to make it. You know what I mean? You can't. So it's kind of like you hold each other accountable to your actions. You know, of course, she's still the mom. Make no mistake. <laughs> I don't care how old I get. She's still the mom. But I think it's um, parental. Oh, it's so changing, too, with all the generations. Is that something you see a lot of for parents having to get through their own crap that they've gone through from their parents. Here comes the next set of kids. And then there's just all these different gen generations. I think that's why grandparents are always so important. They kind of rectify what they did in the past. I don't know. You yeah, know what? I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Yeah. <laughs> <I think that laughs> my that foot is, is getting thicker and thicker. Oh, <laughs> all I'm right. creating well, my own shit show. But, but that is, I guess, the the point of being badass is a persistence so it is badass to stay engaged in a relationship over the long term even when it's painful and by the way oh, wow. it's, it's also badass to leave a toxic relationship but yeah. in in any human relationship there's messiness and so to be able to sit with it because sometimes it's just easier to walk away or to avoid but to really sit with it and to compromise. And what you're getting at is as we grow older, being able to reflect and saying, even though maybe I would do some things differently, how can I grow from that now? How can I begin to be different in relationships? And, and I, I guess just the stick-to-itiveness, that's badass. See, this is, this is really true. And one part of your book that I really love and about all your books, you talk about cognitive behavioral therapy. I know every time you're on the show, I bring this up because it's something people can actually work on. You know, it's not just read a book and, oh, that's nice. It gives you something to do to take action. Because, you know, like I say all the time, Joan Baez, you know, action is the antidote to despair, start moving forward. And when we want to quit, I always feel like if, you know, you want to quit then the next day, think about it. Don't just quit out of emotional drama. Think about it. I mean, just anything in life. It could be a career. It could be anything. The next day, I guarantee you, whatever you were going to quit, something, some light is going to dawn on something, something better. Sometimes the quitting point is right at the breakthrough of something. And if you've quit, you've lost that moment. How many people in business have quit right as they were about to really make it? you know, in, in sports and any kind of achievement. And I think with your, your journaling, you always have a journaling point in, in this, uh, every chapter. And I think that's so important that we journal and we write things, even if we just go shit, 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 shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you're hitting that, that, that not giving up is the grit and the knowing that it might not turn out the way you want it to, but being flexible enough to say, oh, well, maybe it was supposed to take this turn. And so it's sticking to it, but also being flexible at the same time. The cognitive behavioral stuff, I, I really feel like the, the section of the book that I really hit hard with that is the healing chapter, because mm. so many of us, and you've mentioned women's issues, particularly women, are fixers. We want to fix, fix, fix. We want to help. And it's starting to challenge that drive in our head and saying, are, is our behavior really getting us what we, is it really the best? Is it getting us what we want? And is, is fixing what's needed? Is it, 
is it really fixing anything and being able to dial back our drives and showing up in our head and saying, what are we, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I think sometimes we have to just chill out a little bit, you know, um, there's fix, 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 where it can also, if you there's fix yourself, but you can over fix yourself, right. You can be nitpicky and mean to yourself. Yeah. And then you're trying to fix everybody else. And that's annoying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's judgmental. It's as yeah. if you have the fix for everybody else. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard thing. And I think women, you know, and it de- it doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from a bad place. You know, it's just that. And I think that's where some of the parental issues come in um, for people. Mothers, women, the the mothers and daughter thing can get a little nitpicky. You know, it's like I, you know, I have friends who have gone through with mothers that are and even fathers have done it to their daughters about their weight, you know, put girls on severe diets, you know, um, and made them feel really and you, you deal with this in the book, too just make, I mean, the self-confidence that goes out the window because of their weight and their looks. I, I look at, um, you know, some of the, what you, we always talk about, you know, the kids stars, the child stars, how messed up they are after they go through holiday, Hollywood as a kid because of all the attention, but you must look like this. You must, they're not allowed to be and mis- make mistakes. We're supposed to make mistakes. And I think that sometimes that perfection thing can really ruin kids. It's her, and it, and it goes into adulthood, you know? Well, you're right. There, there were a couple of stories that I hammered that home that those messages get sort of seared or burned into a child because a child is like a sponge. And at some point you no longer need your parent to be telling you not good enough. That's what you tell yourself over and over. And I guess you can recognize that it's not healthy, but it doesn't go away. It has been, again, seared into that emotional part of you. And all you can do is then start to pay attention, reflect, and try to separate yourself from that, but recognizing it doesn't go away. Mm. And it, it, you, ha- you don't have to dwell on it either. No. You know what I mean? Even if it's there, you can move forward. Yes. And uh, so that's something I wanted to ask you as a psychologist. You know, there's different thoughts about it all. Like, how, you know, if you go see a, a psychologist that they're going to keep you on the couch for 20 years and make you relive the trauma over and over again. But isn't that where cognitive behavioral therapy really stands up and says, no, you need to start taking action, not just sit on the couch and, and relive trauma? Well, Okay, so it it couldn't be a, what I'm going to say might be a little bit controversial. My stance is when somebody walks through my door, I don't want to create a dependency. Mm. And I think that it is important to understand oneself. But the most important thing is applying that understanding to the present day. Mm. And you, I, I am big in saying you can talk about the why, the why, the why, the why I do this, the why I do that, why other mm-hmm. people do this and that. In the end, it okay, that's why, but what are you going to do about it? So I, I am a believer in short-term therapy. I don't believe, uh, but that being said, I think short-term therapy over the course of your life, meaning you come in with a problem, understand yourself better learn some new skills, go out and live life and come back as needed for a drop in. Because I think people can benefit from therapy off and on over the course of their lives, but not long-term dependent therapy. I I object to this idea that you're going to go for an extended period of time, have this aha moment that's transformative, and then your life is going to be different thereon. That's not, that's the movies. That's not real life. Right. Well, I think this is the beauty of your books, you know, and that you, you're just so very real. And I appreciate you answering the question because I think it's, you know, it's always in the back of people's minds. If people always talk about this and I'm like, well, you know, Jody's coming on the show. I'm asking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you're real and you're straight up. And I think that's what we all want. We don't want someone, 
you know, it's it, it's like you when you go see a, a therapist or you know psychologist, you you're there for a reason, like you're saying, to get a skill set to learn. Oh, and to look at things in a different perspective, and how are you going to use that to move forward? You know, it's about moving forward, and you don't want to sit in the trauma land if you've been through something traumatic. But there's a lot of people with some real, real serious trauma that I know has to be worked out. But I just love that you always put action into it. And then with these stories are showing how people got forward and had that grit and just kept going um, instead of throwing the towel in on their life. Because when you start throwing the towel in, you're really throwing the towel in on your life. You know? Well, I think what you're hinting at is my philosophy. Bad things happen. Traumatic things happen. And you might feel victimized, but you won't make the transition to survivor until you do something differently with it. And I think that that is key. That being said, what's interesting, you may like to know, uh, in, in the past couple of years, I've had some people come into my office and say to me, they don't like the kind of therapy I do, which is completely fine, by the way, but they want the kind of therapy where you go in every week and you talk about your problems that you've had over the last week. And you just sort of replay your life. And I would, I smile and I say, yeah, and I, and you're right. I don't do that kind of therapy. Like I, I hear what you're saying, because I think that that's what, that's what, that's a friendship. (laughs) Like you, you update your friends on your life and they just sit and listen um, because that was the objection. Like they don't want, they don't want that uh, problem solving approach. They just wanted a, a safe place to come and talk. And again, I don't think you should have to pay for that. No, absolutely. I think I think there's friendship, like I was saying, you know, reuniting with my friend in person, you know, and having our, our conversations every month is, is the most empowering thing because you do hold each other accountable to how you move forward. And because um, you know each other, you know what I mean? You can't, you can't BS yourself. <laughs> you, can't, you can't. You just because they know you. They look. It's like you, you, I can't. You know, I can't lie to Nancy. You know, she'll look at me like you're full of it. You know, same with a really good friend who knows you. Um, you can't do that. And so you have to be true to yourself and to them. And that's what your friends are to call you on it and not be mean if you're doing something wrong, but call you on it so that you do put your best foot forward. You know they're, they're your cheerleaders in life. And and that's, that's a good thing, you know? Um, But I think, again, having a book where you can read stories and interpret it the way you, you know, you can connect with who you want to connect with, you know, in your book. I think it's going to help other people even communicate with friends that are going through something, have a better, better understanding. You know what I mean? Um, Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Again, I go back to that idea that you shared, which is so enticing now that you've planted it in my head that like doing some kind of a book club gives, it gives a platform or a springboard to talk about other issues. I think it's huge. I like the badass girls club. It could be the boys club too, but the club. I, I think it's more fun because it is empowering. It isn't about wallowing in in drama. It's about moving forward. And when you hear how people move forward, I mean, you know, people go to AA. It's it's a supportive culture. Um, you know, everybody's got their opinions on AA. I've never been to AA, but I know friends in AA that um, have a, a can-do attitude from hearing stories of how people are recovering. And um, so it's kind of like, you know, that way is how I, I mean it. Like it's, it's like a support group in a, but not even that. It's just like, yeah, man, where you get, can do things. You don't have to be a Kardashian <laughs> in the news, not to knock the Kardashians, but you know what I mean? You don't have to be, that's the other, it's just, it's about real people doing extraordinary things. Well, I, if you look at some of the research on AA, what, in groups like that, what really makes them work is the social connectedness. It's mm-hmm. the sense of I am not alone. And I think if you talk about any kind of a, a book club or any sort of support group, that's that essential component. And that is really 
what I wanted to convey in this book that you are not alone. Mm. I, one of the greatest comments that I've gotten from some folks who have been early readers, they've said, I've heard this uh, a few times. So I'm, I, I think it's real. Not that I wouldn't think it was real if one person told me, but it, it just seems to be a shared is people have said, I saw myself in mm-hmm. so many of the stories. Mm. And that's agree. what I want to do. I agree because it's not, not, not everyone's sharing a whole story the same because everyone's in a different circumstance and different life. Right. But you're going to have, that's what I was saying. It's like, even if you have a friend that's going through something similar, you can have a better empathy and compassion and understanding, you know, um, and can share that story. Sometimes it's, it's so much easier to share stories and better to do than do this, do that. You know what I mean? Because people do have to work out their way out. You know, you can offer suggestions if asked, but you don't tell people what to do. It's like, you know, if you have a friend that's um, maybe in an abusive relationship and you say, you need to get out. I mean, I can't help it. I will say that. There's no way I wouldn't. But she's never going to leave until she really wants to leave or it's too late. You know what I mean? It's um, you can provide assistance. You can provide ideas if they want them. But you're never going to be able to get, you, you know, there's traumatic things and sometimes you can help or you can help, but people have to do it themselves. And through stories, they can formulate their plan out because they're the ones who are going to know how to get out of a situation and move forward, you know? 100%. Yeah. So, and again, you going back to something you said earlier about perfection, nobody wants to share stories with somebody who always has the perfect answers mm. and perfect answer. And that in particular, the abuse stuff, I used to work a fair amount in domestic violence. And one of the things that I learned is, uh, women are most likely to be killed when they leave. So it's mm-hmm. not something that you, you just like kind of pick up and do. And when you just tell somebody, Oh, just leave. Uh, it's sort of minimizing the very real risk. So certainly it's, there is a way out and I'd like to help you with the way out, but there, there has to be an ownership of that risk and it's the person who's in danger. So, right. It is. Yeah. To me, it's like, how can I help you? Yes. What, what do you need? Can I do research? Can I, Mm -hmm. you know, get you to a safe haven? You know, um, you're very right at, you know, the women that go through this, um, you know, I've, I've pulled some friends out of situations that I was like, oh, yo, dude, I'm going to get shot. Like, seriously, mm-hmm. you know, I could tell that we could do a whole show on stories of that. Um, and then it's, it is scary because especially if it's a person in, in intense rage and that rage is there for a reason, you know. Um, so the abuse thing is it's it happens. And um, people, they, I, that's what's so I don't it's hard for me to understand. Like I understand people, you know, anger, rage, but then how it continues the next day and the next day and the stalkers and all that. I still don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. Like I, because it's, it's to me now you've lost the emotion. Like how I don't get the emotion. (laughs) You know what I mean? I understand emotional upsetness, but I don't understand that part where it just continues on, you know, but it, but it certainly happens, but the going, you know, to the perfection part, one thing I've learned in life is the people that look like they've got it all together are the ones who really, really need help. Yeah. Well, it's inauthentic because there is no perfection. Yeah. Yeah. They're, and, and they're putting up a front for a reason. There something's up, you know what I mean? There's, mm-hmm. there's a game being played and they're the ones who need help. And they always say like, all the, your strong friends look at, you need to check in on them once in a while. And ask really, how are you? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and it's true. There's a lot of strong people you just don't understand. Oh, what happened? No, they maybe committed suicide, and you're going, what? This is the person who was the perfect image, right? Didn't happen. It, yeah, it happens. So it's um, again, that's the other thing. I feel like um after this pandemic that there's a lot of topsy turvy emotions going on around the world and across the country and. I just know even, you know, we, I was talking with a, a good friend about this the other day and I said, people are like, went from being excited to see friends and family and get back in the world to there's a lot of emotion, like um, anger, I, I think, because there's a lot of change going on. 
So there's a lot of frustration, desperation, if there's, you know, change, especially finances and stuff for some people. Um, I kind of feel that. And I don't, you know, there's a, I know that um, even during the pandemic itself, there were a lot of, you know, the the hotlines were all being called. You know what I mean? The suicide watches, all of that. I don't mean to be a downer, but it's true. There was a lot of emotion and we're not quite out of it. And I feel like the stories will help those people see that, like, don't go too far with whatever you're dealing with. There's always a way out. Look what these people did. I think that's a really important thing. Just, you know, when I see what's going on, I don't know if you're seeing that too on your side, your side of the couch, <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Um, but people a can lot. get into a depression with everything yeah. that's going on. Yeah. And I think that uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of anxiety, uh, feeling like life is not predictable and I don't know. It's if not. It, yeah, it, it truly is not. But it's not just the pandemic. It is all the divisiveness in our society around the pandemic as well. And people mm. not feeling trusted and people feeling, I, I guess what I would say, my, my sense is there's just a lot of divisiveness, but I think it, it it feels to me like we are now in a society where everyone is quick to judge and attack. And instead of taking a step back and realizing that you don't know what other people are actually dealing with, uh, and it's not really your job to judge, but just taking a step back. So I think all of that is creating a lot of anxiety. And there has been truly... Um, the feeling of being isolated and disconnected and uh, maybe not that, not that at all. I think my book is, uh, is going to be any kind of a a panacea or a fix for any of that. But I also included the chapter on hope. Mm. Hope can mean many different things and can look different ways. I, and sort of expanding people's ideas around hope and hope can, I, as I, one of my chapters, hope exists in dark places. Yes. Uh, I, I think that um, the pandemic going on and on and things going on in society, sometimes it's hard to hang on to hope. I think you're really right. Um, you have to find hope in the little things. Yeah. You know, um, there's a, a, a friend of ours as a musician who comes on the show, Johnny Schaefer, all the time, and he created a gratitude club. And so I was like, oh, I'll do that on Facebook. You know, you go in every day and you put five things. And I'm like, dude, okay. Like I've run out of time, but you know, I'm always trying to find, oh, this is cool. This is cool. My one friend is like, Lisa, you can't put the same thing down every day. You you could be just grateful that you, you know, could afford a cup of coffee. You don't have to have these monumental things. And it's really true. Um, And he did that, especially during the pandemic. People had to find that hope. And when you look around, there's so much to be grateful for. Like Willie Nelson says, his life changed the day he started counting his blessings, you know? Um, And I think you're really right about hope. Hope always lingers in the dark places. We just have to look for it and be part of it if we can. And that is where, in order to hold on to hope, sometimes it can be helpful to have that human connection to be reminded of that. And that's what the pandemic lacked was enough connection. Mm, I agree. And then it was zoom, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden we're out in the, with people and you're scared. Do you hug them? Do you not don't cough near me? Um, You know, everybody looks at each other. Do you have it? Do I wear a mask? Oh, if you wear a mask, you're this, if you don't wear a mask, you're that, you know, so there's all that crap going on and it's become this big political thing where families are split up over politics uh i think we've in technology you know we're all sitting with our phone at a table instead of communicating i've watched people at a date on a date text each other i'm going what the hell is this you know (laughs) you know come on you know why why are you even at a restaurant if you're not even gonna you know just to take a selfie with the food like come on (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, so I think we've kind of, we've retreated. So we maybe just don't know how to do all that anymore. Or you've also been, you know, holed up with your family too long without having personal space. That could get annoying, you know, for people. So it's a, it's a really interesting time. But the thing is, we can get through it. And people have, no matter what it is. I mean, if you look at people, look at the Holocaust survivors. I always go to that, you know, people have gone through that, you know, people have been held in concentration camps and came, come out of it. How do they do that? That, That's a resiliency, you know? And so sometimes I go, okay, but you know, there's like, you put in this book, this, this is everyday people going through everyday shit. And how do they get through it without letting it drag them down? You know? And there have been people, even again, during the pandemic, one of the, or sort of after the lockdown phase of it, I was doing some wellness workshops with nurses and talk about badass. Like my saying to the nurses was nurses get shit done. Like they don't have time to sit around and talk about it. They're on it. They're working on it. And uh, talk about cases of badass after the pandemic, these, and I'm not saying that physicians weren't uh, exposed as well. That's, that's, it's not again, one or the other, but uh, nurses were at the bedside and weren't leaving and didn't know uh, what PPE was working. They didn't uh, have all the uh, protection that they needed and they still showed up and that's badass. Mm, I like that. I think it is. You know, Um, I hope you do this club, even if it's like a (laughs) Facebook group. But I think it would be like, I think it'd be really cool. I'm going to have to flesh that out. Yeah. I I don't think it should just be for adults either. I think teenagers need it. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because I think they were probably uh, one of the groups most affected uh, during the pandemic. Yes. Because their brains are still growing and changing mm-hmm. and connection is like supremely important to adolescents. In fact, the adolescents that I was seeing in my practice at that time, uh, anecdotally, one of the most go-to recommendations to the parents was your kid needs some uh, face-to-face time with friends. And Oftentimes that was enough to fix whatever angst brought them into my office. Mm. That was very healing. They needed, the human brain is wired to be around other people, not to be in front of the computer. If you think about it, we're wired to survive. So in order to survive, we have to have connections to other people because we can't do it all ourselves. Uh, Diversity actually is it brings strength so we have to have people with different skills and different resources so the brain is wired to be around other human beings and that all gets back to connection and everything else that we've talked about but adolescents need that probably more mm-hmm. than most i agree i agree and and just you know again you bring the the reading part in so that people can internalize as they want to you know they can go back to it, go back to a different story, read a new story. But there's the action part that you bring in. And I think that is so important. I mean, as you know, I remember writing all kinds of poetry and getting my emotions out, writing music and art and, you know, nature and all of that. But you, the, the, you're a hotbed of emotions as a teenager and this didn't really help everything and there's fear because we're looking at climate change you know you hear it's Mm -hmm. the end of the world then we have school shootings it's like Mm -hmm. what the hell are they supposed to feel and do you know um there's a lot of emotions i mean you know when uh, well there was stuff going on when i was in high school in you know political unrest and things like that but our big thing is, oh my God, we have a pimple. Oh dear, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So it's really changed, right? Um, for adolescents, you know, and um, they do need help. And I think parents and there's got to be a unity that comes through that. I think even the pandemic may have helped a little bit with that, but there's got to be a little bit more unity of breathing and understanding, and um, everybody calm down a bit and just have a meal. You know, yeah, it's teenagers, I, and I'm. I, it feels like um. So now I'm officially feeling super old because 
I, I want to say teenagers these days have it really hard. And I'm sure that that has been thought of many times over the years and the generations. But uh, the, the social media piece in terms of teenagers and never having known a world without social media. And like for me, I'm not so I may see something on social media that is triggering, but I have a whole experience where social in my life where social media did not exist. Mm -hmm. Teenagers these days do not have that. And so Mm -hmm. it's so hard to separate because on social media is curated. It's not authentic. And um, so that's just something to sort of process. Although, let me say that one of the things that is super interesting to me is that teenagers these days are much, much more comfortable talking about, men- they, they, they use the term mental illness. Um, they've sort of reclaimed that term and they're much more comfortable with therapy than a lot of adults that I know. That's, you know, because I think somebody else is listening to them. It's a um, separate entity so that you don't feel like you're, you're it's a non-judgment zone. Right. So I think teenagers are always feeling judged. They're very judgmental on themselves and on each other. You know, talk about being picky. I mean, it's like, oh, did you see what she wore? You know, and then at home, it's like, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. And you know what I mean? So just I'm not saying everyone's home and family and friends are like that. I'm just using, you know, examples of it. But I think and then all the pressure of high school of all the courses, you need to go into this college. And I mean, it's what kids are putting on their shoulders now is ridiculous. Honestly, I just, I get that, you know, they can handle much more and do much more, but there's meanness on social media. That is insane. The bullying mm-hmm. it's insane. So when you do go into uh, see a therapist, a psychologist, um, psychiatrist, uh, a caregiver, someone who can have a conversation with you without being like, well, you did this wrong. I think that's really relaxing for them. Like they actually get to be human and grow a little bit more than someone that's looking to see. I think that's that's part of the problem. I think there's a, they're always being judged and they're young. They're gonna they're gonna screw up. We all do. And I, I think sometimes that is not always there for them, depending on their family situation, that they need to be able to screw up. Well, judgment is a, judgment is a, a mean mofo. I, and I, I, that is something I think that we need to get a handle on. That being said, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, uh, I've given up a lot of uh, my teenage work uh, because I'm not the most patient person. And longer term therapy can be beneficial with teenagers because they're still unfolding and they, uh, they it take, sometimes takes a while for them mm. to uh, find the words to share their experiences. And so circling back to where we were talking about, well, long-term therapy or not, long-term therapy, and, and again, that's a relative term, can be more indicated with adolescents because they may not have that safe space in other areas of their lives and don't have as much control to create it as an adult. Mm. That's true. Everyone's in a different situation, man. They really are. But again, stories, I think storytelling is probably one of the most powerful tools in life to make change, positive change and gain understanding. Whether it's a book, true stories, a movie, music, art, I think storytelling wins to make positive change and to comfort. Storytelling evokes emotions. Yeah, comfort is helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, That's part of that hope thing. I think uh, what what you're talking about too. And so that's, I think it's comforting. That's a good word for your book. Doesn't sound like it since it's badass, but it is. (laughs) It's comforting. You can be comforted in badassery. (laughs) You know, I I love that. You know, so I'll congratulations on three books. What's well, next? Are you, you. Is there another one? Like, I, I mean, think you need could... to do this club now. I think that's another <laughs> new project. And I think it could be an actual TV series or something. Oh Come God. on. Oh, I well, um, a podcast series, you know, I, I found myself recently thinking I would love to do podcasts. Although 
I think it's a lot of work. I mean, you can tell me, I'm sure it's a lot of work. <laughs> uh, don't ask me when I went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> We're launching a whole new show thing and I don't even want to talk about it, but I do because I'm excited. Well, to me, well, you know, there's, you know, it's like between traveling and, you know, full time and doing podcasts, it's like we're in college all the time. So Nancy and I don't feel like we've aged a bit. And if my friend, my best friend the other day tried try to tell me I'm hit, hitting that half a century mark. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm, I thought I was turning this and then I found out, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so all I can say is podcasting is good because the more you learn, the younger you feel, <laughs> no matter what your skin may look like. Exactly. You're keeping, you're keeping your mind and your body and your spirit alive. That's badass. Yeah, it is badass. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Well, thank you again uh, for joining us on the show. It's cool to have you on for all three books. We wait, we're waiting for more and uh, we're waiting. We're just, we're waiting for more Jody. You know, <laughs> you've got all the rest of winter to get writing. I'm just saying. <laughs> so ev everyone again, uh, go get Jody's books, all three of them move on. Oh boy, I, I really want to say it, but I can't, can I? Well, somebody said it. I, I had a therapist say something really naughty on the show the other day. So, but move well, on. I said mofo. Mofo. Okay. So that's mofoer. <laughs> See, that is like mo, mo, that's like moving forward. If you've got, yes, if you're from Rhode yes. Island, you'll sound, you know, mofoer. <laughs> move on. And then getting to good riddance, a no bullshit breakup survival guide. We like that one too. Um, every, you know, and, and you may need that on Valentine's Day. Be like me. Break up with people on holidays. It takes the stress away. <laughs> you don't have to buy them a gift. Just go for it. <laughs> also, badass stories, grit, growth, hope, and healing in the shit show that, again, is out on Valentine's Day. Perfect time uh, on uh, through Turner Publishing. They're awesome. Uh, they do great publications. And, again, all by psychologist and author Jody Eckleberry-Hunt. You can go to her website, jodyeckleberryhunt.com. See her on social media. And that's Jody, J-O-D-I-E. Thanks for joining us here. Keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. Thank you so much, Jody, and have a bad, badass rest of your day. <laughs> Thank you. You too.